episode of Talking Movies. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rod Sonny. Your other co-host, Sam. Thank you for joining us. A lot to discuss today. Really, I feel like we're going to spend a lot of our time here on sort of two topics as a whole. <laughs> um, the reason we're recording this on Monday evening as opposed to Sunday evening, though, is because Sunday evening was the Golden Globes, I guess the official kickoff of awards season, the Golden Globes, and I guess the Oscars are kind of the bookends, if you want to consider the traditional award season. I know you have like your New York film critics circle and all that kind of stuff, but Globes are, are the big, it's one of the big shows, one of the two big shows. Um, and coming into this, obviously, we didn't really know what was going to happen with the sort of look and feel of the show because of COVID. Um, they did the sort of two locations, New York and Los Angeles with different presenters showing up in each location. I guess the cool thing about that was because they couldn't have the attendees or the nominees in the places they had like uh, healthcare workers and first responders and whatnot. That, so that was pretty cool. But uh, I guess before we get into the nominees themselves, you know, this I guess is probably what the Oscars are gonna look like. Cause I think the Oscars are also doing bi-coastal. What, what'd you think of the show as a whole? Well, I didn't watch. I watched the highlights of the day before because like, <laughs> watching The Sopranos. I saw okay. The Sopranos finally on Saturday, but you know it's really interesting to see because like it was funny because every time David Fincher lost, he took a shot. Yeah, so it was fun to see like just because you wouldn't get that kind of content if they were he was just sitting there in the amongst the audience members. So it's really fun to see that. So they're more comfortable just sitting at home. And um, who was the winner for best actress in a drama? Uh, it, was, it was uh what's her name andrew united, day. andrew day from uh the united states versus billy holiday that's the one yeah so it was fun to see because she was surrounded by her family members you wouldn't get to see that on an award mm-hmm. show so just mm-hmm. seeing that it was a much more intimate um you know um reception to her to her award so that's really fun to see it's very fun dynamic they're having right now so i think it went well mm-hmm. based off the highlights i've seen but i was gonna ask do you think they have a fan duel for award shows <laughs> <laughs> they do they do actually have award show betting and i've strongly considered like putting my hand in it because I feel like I could do pretty well. I usually get like 22 out well, of 24, not, right? not for the Globes, at least. No, not for the Globes. Yeah, it's usually <laughs> for the Oscars. But yeah, you could, uh, most most open sports books, I, I think you can put money. Now that Sam has his newfound <laughs> gambling addiction, <laughs> he's trying to find money. I have a, I have a new vice, guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you in terms of the show. And, and I'm since I'm not like online as much, I'm not seeing a whole lot of reaction, but like I, I do subscribe to like newsletters and stuff. And those have been popping into my a- email inbox today. And they're all saying like the show is a disaster. And I'm just like, are you guys, hmm. I feel like at this point, like everybody's just kind of looking for reasons to shit on award shows and especially the globes. Cause obviously we came into this year with the controversy right before the, the globes went live. Um, there was this old, the sort of uh, report that the HFPA of the 87 members, none of them are black. So there was obviously mm-hmm. some controversy there. Globes had some problems in the past as well with diversity and whatnot. Um, So I feel like the Globes sort of has a target on its back, but I I didn't feel like the disastrous part of it. It obviously, it took a little bit to get going, right? Because like the first uh, uh, winner was Daniel Kaluuya, which we'll get into in a second, and his mic was cut at the beginning, but that was the first one. It didn't happen throughout the rest of the night. Everybody was clean. There were a couple of times where there were like awkward cuts to the person that was on stage uh, presenting and they were just staring at the screen behind them because the person was on Zoom. So like it wasn't clean, but I I feel like they made the most and, and the best of like the circumstances. I don't know if you got the same feel from the highlights. I think the, mostly the, the reason why people are calling it a disaster is because people aren't so open to watching people webcam themselves winning awards. Mm-hmm. And like I was reading, a, there was a headline that popped up on my phone. It was a push notification saying that the Globes hit like a multi-year ratings low. And I think yeah. that goes, because I'm, I'm guilty of that myself because I didn't watch the show. <laughs> but I'm guessing people are going to be more, or being introduced more to this to this format when the Oscars roll on because it's much more mainstream. 
Yeah, and, and the Globes, I think, has been declining for a while, right? And the Oscars... it's, it's a trend for all the award shows. People yeah. are just watching award shows less. Yeah, and, and I understand that. But at the same time, like, disaster just feels like such a harsh word. And I feel like it's just people sort of going at the Globes because they're an easy target. And, like, you know, if you saw people like the way that Andrew Day, for example, or Anya Taylor-Joy, some of these stars who won, like, the emotional impact of winning a Golden Globe for these stars mm. is still pretty, pretty much there. They were still very, very emotional, and it sort of hit the same way um you got it with daniel kaluuya's empowering speech right at the beginning too um even though it took a couple seconds to get the mic working and whatnot but i I, you know i thought they made the best of the circumstances and i'm just happy that we do have award shows despite the fact that people can't gather it is weird it is weird and i'm not going to deny that (laughs) but it makes me happy at the end of the day like we've been saying since the beginning to just see these artists be celebrated for what they're doing throughout the year and especially in a year where i feel like their work was more essential than ever because it was kind of our disconnect from the rest of the world so that was kind of cool right um, but yeah let's let's go ahead and get into the nominees and we're just we're just gonna touch on the big ones mostly movies we can touch on tv at the end if you want to but let's let's just start with the the, the big two nomadland coming out with best picture and best director for chloe Zhao. uh Zhao being the second woman to win the award following Catherine bigelow i believe in the first woman of color to win the award so big night for nomadland i think it was kind of expected though, right? Because No Man Land seems to be the front runner for Best Picture at the Oscars, and this is just the first domino, I guess, to fall in that. Yeah, yeah, and it's really hard to say because it is the Globe, so there's not really a pred- you know, it's not a good predictor for the Oscars. But I'm right. just glad that the fact that Chloe Zhao just like as I was saying, like when this you know this pandemic sort of thing, this format started, is like the the fact that smaller directors will get their chance, get their chance. And I'm really glad seeing that you know Chloe Zhao is just finally hitting the mainstream, to say the least. And her winning is just like you know a great you know bright spot in the night. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, to see her take home the best director, I think, was even more special. Although she seemed more surprised by the best picture win, where I felt <laughs> like it could have gone. Like I feel like the Globes feel like the kind of people that would uh, give Aaron Sorkin the best director win. It just felt like that. That just seems like a trend for them. But for them to give it to Nomadland and for Chloe Zhao, that was pretty special. Um, your movie. Borat too, winning in best comedy slash musical. I don't know how excited you were about that. Yeah, I was so 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 happy seeing that the day after because I didn't, yeah. you know, just seeing just like scrolling through is like you know, oh this person won, you know, the crown dominated the the award show for shows and all that. But then I was like scrolling down, and I saw it was like yes, Sasha Baron Cohen and and uh, Borat too won for the big the, yeah. the, they were nominated for. So I was really happy about that. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Did you see his speeches? Were they in the highlights that you watched? Yeah, they were in the highlights. I didn't watch his. I watched Anya's. I watched watched the one for Chadwick which was really sad got me teary eyed right. and yeah. I saw the one for Chloe's yeah the his was his were really funny because he's just taking shots like Rudy Giuliani and Trump and stuff like that so <laughs> I would say if you get the chance like click on YouTube and find his speeches because they're both pretty similar um but but yeah I think it's a little surprise I think that that Borat won both those awards I'm actually surprised that Maria Bakalova didn't win her category but we'll get to that in a sec um but let's start you mentioned it off the top Andrew Day I think that was the biggest surprise her winning uh best female lead in a drama because she was up against Viola Davis, Vanessa Kirby, Frances McDormand, and Carrie Mulligan. I mean, that's that's a Those powerhouse category. That's a powerhouse yeah. category. Um, and of like these five, I feel like she might be the one that misses out on the Oscars because you have a few other names in this category who are sort of on the outside looking in who could push her out. And also because the Oscars condenses um, comedy and drama and it's not you know separated into other categories. Maria mm-hmm. Bakalova, I think, is still going to be 
your fifth nominee because I feel like she, I believe she's still pulling for lead if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, so I don't know. Did you, did that catch you off guard? Have you even heard of Billie Holiday? No, I, there was no like campaigning for it from what I saw on Twitter like, before mm. the award show started. So yeah, I was like, I didn't, like, I didn't watch this. You didn't watch this. Barely heard people even talking about it. So seeing that she won, it caught me by surprise. But then I was like, thinking, this is the Globes. It consistently happens every year where, yeah. you know, some random where the, like, no uh, one talks the about Aaron, wins. Aaron Taylor Johnson of that's the That's the best prime example when I always think of was like, you know, yeah. Marshall Ali was like winning everything for Moonlight. Then like the Globe started and Aaron Taylor beat him out for the yeah. supporting actor role but you know you know surprised but not surprised yeah i've heard really good things about andrew day but i've heard billy holiday the movie you know says for billy holiday is kind of a disaster mm. so I've, like i don't think that because of that i think she doesn't maybe have the traction but maybe this could push her over the edge people will go and watch because i believe the movie's on hulu if i'm not mistaken so uh, this could be the push that maybe could get her into the nomination because i think her performance is lauded enough i think just not enough people have seen similar them. to um judy last year with renee zellweger Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Judy, I mean, that she won everything, right? Renee yeah. Won literally everything, which was shocking to me. Um, and she was, in my opinion, the worst actress in that category. Um, but, you know, I guess that's award season for you. If you have the momentum, yeah. then, then it could carry you all the way. That would uh, screw up your parlay. Uh, I would hate it. I, <laughs> I, I was so pissed because she was literally winning everything. And I was just like, I don't understand. And I finally saw Judy, and I was just like, I really don't get the hype because that movie you went to was theaters bad. to watch it i went to alamo draft house yeah i had I, I made an afternoon of that movie and it was a <laughs> it was not fun let me yeah, tell you based on your reaction and your review for it i didn't watch it so yeah. I, can't, I can't say anything about it i i will never understand how she had everything locked up last year it really makes no sense to me but uh you mentioned chadwick um a, a little surprise i think he he seems like the sort of closest thing to a lock in this entire awards category um, but yeah, the emotional speech from his, his wife was, was really hard hitting and yeah. that, that is just the Globes. And I feel like we're going to get a couple more of these, obviously, as we get closer to the Oscars. And I don't think it's going to get any easier. Um, but I, I think we'll, but we both agree that this is extremely, extremely deserved. And I hope he does go and win that Oscar. Now. And that's his to lose. Yeah, Absolutely. it really is. And this is, this is another stat category. I, I think of the five nominees here, four of them are probably locks for the Academy Awards. Riz, yeah. uh, and Anthony Hopkins for the father and, uh, Gary Oldman for Mank. And I, I think Steven Yeun is going to edge out Delroy Lindo for the fifth spot. That's, that's kind of where I'm putting my money right now. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, same thing. Uh, well, hold on. Stephen Young's going to be for main. He's lead. Yeah, he's going to be a lead actor. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's the case. I would say um, Stephen over Delroy. Yeah. But you know, Delroy had a lot of traction when when uh, the Five Bloods came out. So mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's not like it's a huge difference between the two. But given the choice, yeah, I would say Stephen over Delroy. Yeah, and uh, it, that's a really good category right yeah, there for it, me. every year. That's a really good category. Um, let's transition now into lead actress in a comedy slash musical. This is where Maria Bakalova did lose, but she was campaigning lead here. So I think she is going to be leading the Oscars. And I feel like she's still the fifth uh, person to get in there. So I don't think Andrew, Andrew Day is going to quite get in there. Uh, but winning in this category, Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot. People love Rosamund Pike, um, especially since Gone Girl. And I think she just hasn't quite gotten the work that she deserves after that performance. But I've heard really good things about I Care A Lot. Uh, her, Aza Gonzalez, I think are the two leads in this movie. And uh, I guess I was surprised just because Bakalova has so much traction behind her. Mm-hmm. But uh, I know Rosamund Pike is pretty popular. Have you even heard of I Care A Lot? Yeah, I've heard it here and there. People have been a positive reaction. The most, the biggest thing I'm surprised about is because I was the reputation that Rosamund Pike has in the industry is that she's very difficult to work with. So the fact mm-hmm. that she's, you know, she's getting this recognition is kind of making me um, 
you know, question if she's still, maybe she's changed the way that she approaches her projects now. Cause I haven't heard that consistently, but the reason that, you know, since Gone Girl, the reason why I haven't heard from her is because of the fact that she's difficult to work with. Okay, I don't know if you heard the same thing. I haven't heard that. No, I had no idea. Um, where, where did you hear that? Like, was it, you know, was it? Oh, headlines here and there throughout the years. Uh, yeah. I hadn't heard that, but I guess it wouldn't surprise me. A lot of these sort of like British, like Shakespearean actors are, are tend to be difficult to work with. I, I had no idea, but I am glad that she's earning the recognition because i was like i was curious too because she was very she did a great job in gone girls i was like you know where is she Mm -hmm. it's been years since i've heard from her since this movie so i was like you know megan that's what came up when was the last thing she was even in i I don't remember couldn't tell you yeah i really have no idea her career yeah it's an interesting one after that oscar nomination yeah um supporting actress so this this is another sort of weird surprise which i don't think is going to shake out in the academy awards but jodie foster won for the mauritanian I believe is how you pronounce that movie. Um, she was up against Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, uh, Amanda Seyfried, and Helena Zengel from News of the World. So this is another pretty good category. And I would say Close, Coleman, and Seyfried are probably all going to get in there for the Oscars. I don't think Jodie Foster even gets in there for the Oscar. And I, I know Helena has had some good reviews. You saw News of the World, but I don't think she has enough really to push for the Oscars as well. Well, Close is the one out of these um, <clears throat> is the most surprising one just because of the fact that Hillbilly mm. was, you know, poorly received. Yeah, but she's Glenn Close. So I feel like every time she acts in a movie, she just gets nominated for an Oscar. That's why she has a Yeah, the year that she was nominated for The Good Wife, she was, or was it called? Was it called um, The Good Wife? Oh, the wife, the wife, the wife. Just the wife, just the the wife, wife, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's one that was like, you know, solid solid movie, solid performance, but she was like winning everything for it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I guess that goes to show the trend or people the, the sort of reception that Glenn Close has in the in the industry. Yeah, no. I, I, speaking of actresses who have been like outed as sort of like snotty and hard to work with, Glenn Close, I've heard she like goes to restaurants and throws food at people and stuff like that. She's like apparently a really terrible person. So, <laughs> so I think that these Hollywood types. Yeah, I, I think that really might be the reason why she hasn't won an Oscar yet. Because like like I said, she's been nominated like countless number of times and she's never won. I feel like people just don't like her and i feel bad saying that but i've heard some horror stories about the way she treats other Mm. people so that's that wouldn't surprise me Mm. um yeah i I really don't know this category i guess is a little bit up in the air because we don't know who's going to come out of the um in the oscar race is sort of eligible for this Uh, what's her name the grandmother in minari um i think she's probably still up there you i believe is her name um i think she's probably still a good front runner and to be honest i don't think it's going to happen but i would love to see yeri han who plays steven yun's wife in minari also get in there because i thought she was like toe to toe with steven yun in that movie um she in some scenes she even steals the show like i'm kind of surprised that she doesn't have a little bit more traction behind her especially i feel like in a weaker year in supporting actress well i mean minari is my number one movie of the year last year so mm. you know whatever you say i'm gonna agree with because of the fact that <laughs> You know they they're all they're all powerhouses. I want to see um what's the little boys? I'm so bad with name. Daniel Kim, uh, so, Alan Kim, Alan. Alan Kim. Kim. Yeah, I want to see him win everything. Oh, he was so funny. He's so. <laughs> did you did you watch he that can, interview? He he continues to be hilarious even on social media. Yeah, he's he so just like funny. steals everything. Yeah, he's he hilarious. So funny. Did, what's did it you called? Know, he, the the interview that he did it was with W Magazine I think where he said Sonic the Hedgehog was his favorite actor and he called yeah. him Rudified Macaroon Five yeah I, was like, I told you that's a better name for them he just, just really changed his name oh, that kid is so funny yeah, so he's if been, Adam if you're listening you know change your name to Macaroon Five he's been stealing the show <laughs> since Sundance that movie's been around for like, over so, a year yeah he's hilarious yeah. I want to see I want to just see him just for the just for the speech yeah honestly um, 
Daniel Kaluuya, winning supporting actor. We talked about that earlier. Um, I feel like he's probably the front runner for the Oscar at this point as well. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen and Leslie Odom Jr. are the other two in this category that I would say probably have the best chance of getting in at the Academy Awards as well. I don't think Jared Leto, and as much as I love Bill Murray and On the Rocks, I don't think he'll get in there either because I feel like there's some other Trial of Chicago 7 actors that might probably like a, even one night in miami could probably squeak him out yeah i wouldn't be surprised if one night in miami has another one in there um yeah any surprises though with this one absolutely not well i was surprised that you know the globes got it got it right for <laughs> kicking off the, the night pick pick the best uh person out of the category you know Danny Camino is a, is a powerhouse he's like mm. the like is like you know the best supporting out of out of last year so yeah. you know glad that he won yeah that, that kind of covers the big categories uh, aaron sorkin winning best screenplay i think no surprise there soul winning best animated feature uh, minari we've been talking about it was actually in foreign language for this particular award show although it's going to be in the regular categories for the academy awards so i think it's still a best picture nominee i don't think it's going to lose any steam there um any of the tv stuff you want to touch on or any other awards that we didn't get around to well maybe the fact that the um you know uh, the crown like completely dominated the night which it, i'm very excited to watch about. me mm-hmm. uh but you know i'm still sad of the fact that better call Saul wasn't even nominated at all for the drama category wait it wasn't i thought it, oh bob odenkirk was nominated but yeah saul was yeah, not nominated. the show that it's consistently being squeaked out you know the queen's gambit winning and anya taylor joy winning is you know it was a great thing because it's like I think it was my. I guess it's safe to say my favorite limited series of last I year. I still would have taken Daisy Edgar Jones in that. Ca- I know. I. She it's had no hard. Chance. It's hard to say. They're both great. She had no so, chance. And listen, I, I love any hair difference. But like Queen's Gambit was a literal phenomenon. Like it took over the. I had nothing had any chance against Queen's Gambit in those categories. I'm just glad that they got nominated at least for uh, normal people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I'm sad Paul Mescal didn't get nominated. I'm, I'm really happy that Daisy. I think Daisy got it in the Globes, and then Paul got the Emmy nomination. So they both didn't overlap anymore, which is kind of and, sad. You know, Ted. Ted Lasso of being there consistently and Jason Sudeikis winning for yeah, Ted Lasso. Won. Giving his acceptance speech in like a tie-dye sweatshirt because that's <laughs> what his, a war show porn stash. That's yeah with his with his Ted Lasso <laughs> stash. Um I'm 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 excited for you to check out that show because I think Have you seen Shits Creek? I haven't. I've heard really good things about it and obviously from these award it's, shows. It's pretty consistent with both Emmys and Golden Globes. Yeah, so. yeah. It's over now, right? I think four seasons and it's done. Is it? I have no. I think so, and I think you can no watch idea. it. I think you can watch it on Netflix. So that's probably. And another surprise of last night for the TVs was Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, for because that that show was well received, right? But I don't think it's like one. I don't think it won anything at the Emmys or anything like that. So I was pretty surprised. Well, that, that category is pretty weird. Like I haven't seen Your Honor. I haven't seen The Comey Rule, The Undoing, The, yeah. Glo- the Good Lord Bird. I even heard of that with Ethan yeah. Hawke. Yeah, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, I've heard that series is actually really good. It's on Showtime though, so I don't think anybody watches it. I think it. that's why. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'll close out here by saying Emma Corrin and Josh uh, Josh O'Connor both winning for the Crown. Very excited, Prince Charles and Princess Diana. Portrayed. Who was the one you were saying that was like, the best acting of last year? Josh O'Connor. Uh, jo- uh, Chadwick Boseman was at performance of the year, but. Josh O'Connor is right there as like a number two sort of. He was like the one you were talking about. Yeah, Josh O'Connor, okay. yeah, which he and won. He won. Yeah, he okay. won. They, I mean, they were both incredible. Both him and Emma Corrin were incredible. But Josh O'Connor is just he was on. And Emma Corrin was the one who played Princess Diana. Yeah, she played Diana. Yeah, yeah. She was up against Olivia Coleman, so for her to yeah. be Olivia Coleman in that category is pretty <laughs> impressive. And Olivia Coleman is in the in the lum, or is she still part of the show? Uh, she is now done so she was seasons three and four and now seasons five and six are doing a time jump so imelda staunton uh who played uh the evil professor that nobody liked in harry potter order of the phoenix um god what's her name umbridge uh, dolores, dolores umbridge yeah, yes. yeah she, oh, the actress who played her is coming in now to play the queen is sort oh, of like oh i'm gonna i think it's a good time to start at the crown then the cast for the next season is <laughs> debicki is debicki is playing um 
Princess Diana. It's it's a really good cast. So, yeah, so I got so when I confuse yeah. Vanessa Kirby and Debicki, it's gonna get even, get even worse yeah, for me. Exactly, it's gonna be even show. worse now because they both overlap in that. <laughs> show. Um, yeah, that that kind of covers the Golden Globes. Um, let's let's go ahead and get into the other big, big big news story here uh, that opened up. I guess last week. It, it, it's been a while since we heard about this, but. Uh, Avatar Studios is a thing that's happening. Avatar The Last Airbender universe is going to be expanded um, with Avatar Studios. The original creators of the series are returning to Nickelodeon, Brian Konietzko and Michael DiMartino. They're going to start a whole branch of Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon Animation Studios that's going to be dedicated to expanding the Avatar and Legend of Korra universe. Um, production is starting on a feature animated film that's going to hit theaters, I believe, next year, but it's starting production this year. Um, and most of the content, I think, is going to be between like theaters and Paramount Plus, which is the new streaming service. Um, this is, this is basically them just taking a shit on Netflix's face, right? Like this is just, I mean, this is the news that we've been waiting for because obviously we had the controversy with Netflix and the original creators leaving the live action series from Netflix, and it was just like we were all kind of in wait. We were like what's going to happen now? Like, is Netflix going to continue with the series? Is Netflix going to get a new showrunner? Who's going to come in? And then Nickelodeon just drops this bomb, this absolute bomb that their investors call last year that I think nobody saw coming. Um, but it makes sense because Avatar is top of mind with this popularity on Netflix and whatnot. And I imagine for you, Sam, being the hardcore Avatar fan that you are, this is just like a dream come true. Well, I'll say this. I'll say it's good and bad, mostly good, just because of the fact that, you know, it's, I'm glad that DiMartino and Konietzka are having you know, full control of their own IP and, you know, creating new content based on the Avatar universe and, you know, branching out, you know, I would have loved to see them take on a live action adaptation of Avatar. I'm pretty sure maybe, I don't know how the rights work for both Netflix and Nickelodeon, but maybe Netflix obviously has, you know, the, the head start on creating the live action adaptation of Avatar. And we talked about how, you know, they're aging up Katara and keeping up, um, keeping her, making her the older sibling, older than Sokka and keeping mm. Aang as 12 years old. So made that four year difference is really weird for me. But the thing that I'm worried about is the fact that you know, it's great that Konietzko and Martino are heading the studio themselves and, you know, creating their own original content. Um, I, it's Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon isn't really known for taking risks. And, you know, they're, since, you know, I was a kid, you know, it's completely focused on, you know, child-centric content. So the thing I'm worried about more most is the fact that they won't let Konietzko and Martino, you know, take risks and make it more mm. adult-centric because, you know, the thing I've been hammering home, one of the things I've hammered home on this podcast is the fact that how important it is for, you know, IP to grow with its audience members, and, you know, hopefully that they have, you know, complete and utter full control. And, you know, they're, they're geniuses in their own right. I mean, we both raved about this show endlessly. So hoping, hopefully, you know, they know what they're doing and, you know, giving us content that, you know, ages with its audience members. And hopefully, you know, I, you know, you're a fan of Korra. I wasn't the biggest fan of Korra. Hopefully they have, they have a more streamlined sense of, you know, the stories that they created in the future. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a couple of responses to, to what you just said. And on the kids front, it's definitely going to be, I think, kid-centric content because it is Nickelodeon, right. like you said. Mm -hmm. But Avatar nailed the balance of the kid-centric and the more mature stuff as we expect from good animated material. So we know that the potential is there. So I guess that part of it doesn't really worry me as mm -hmm. much. Um, on the creative control front, I certainly had that idea jump to my head because, I mean, with the live action M night movie. And now this Netflix series, it feels like these guys are just being bullied by Hollywood. Yes. Um, yeah. And it I sucks. Like it, it sucks to see that. And, and it's weird because I was, um, 
actually before this announcement came out, I was just, I, I had a clip of Avatar running in the background because that's what I do now. I'm sure you do the same, Sam, every now and then you just put on a scene that you want to watch. Um, and I was like, I kind of want to listen to these guys just talk about their creative process. And they don't have a lot of interviews. Like they don't do a lot of public appearances and whatnot, but they did like an hour and a half long interview with Nerdist in 2014. Uh, on this thing called the writers panel which is an old podcast they used to do and somebody had archived and re-uploaded it to youtube like in december so it was just like fresh on youtube it had not been there before so i clicked in i was like hour and a half perfect i'm gonna listen to this and this is 2014 and they were talking they went about five minutes about the uh the m night movie and they talked about the fact that you know this is what we came into this movie thinking that we'd have creative control and we didn't have creative control we were bullied by the studio execs and whatnot and they were talking about how like that's what happens in Hollywood and then they were like and it could happen to us again for all we know and it was like in 2014 they said that and now like five six years later it literally did happen to them again on the same property with Netflix so it was just kind of weird that they saw it, sort of saw it coming but I feel like they wouldn't get themselves into a situation now without saying like we're gonna sign a contract and if you break this contract like you have you owe us money we can sue you whatever like we want creative control we've been burned way too many times and we're not gonna let that happen again mm -hmm. I, I, do you see that being a possibility because i feel like they wouldn't sign on to anything especially not after the netflix travesty i feel like they wouldn't sign on to anything unless they had a hundred and ten percent locked in by like lawyers or whatever that they have absolute creative control well it's that but also the fact that they have a good rapport with nickelodeon you know they have control over right. they have control over avatar they control over Korra. yeah you know they have that great relationship between the two of them so i think it's kind of more the fact that they have a, a comfort zone with nickelodeon but i think it just came to mind when you were just talking that was the fact that nickelodeon really isn't in the powerhouse as netflix is so, yeah, yeah yeah you know considering that they might make live action content they might you know make additional animated you know uh, original content does Nickelodeon have the money to give them to so that they can make the, the you know the great content that we know that they're capable of yeah and I don't think Avatar was that expensive of a show when it came out mm -hmm. I know also like the exec that they uh, this is something I learned from that Nerdist podcast the exec that they pitched to and that sort of shepherded the entire Avatar thing at Nickelodeon at the time is not at Nickelodeon anymore so I don't really know how that influences like the sort of relationship that they have but to what you said like I mean, they, they just, Netflix was, I mean, Avatar maybe wasn't a huge success for Nickelodeon. It was successful, but it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't SpongeBob by any means back when it aired on Nickelodeon. But now following its resurgence of popularity on Netflix, I feel like they might have a little bit more pull to go to Nickelodeon and be like, hey, Netflix kind of burned us. But look at how popular our show is. It was the most popular show on Netflix 15 years after it came out. If you let us do this, then we can make something special here. And they have like, it's not just one show, right? It's it's a studio now. It's a branch of Nickelodeon called Avatar Studios. And they're the creative officers of that studio. And creative, the only people, the only person that's above them now in the hierarchy is the president of Nickelodeon. So like, if they're going to get kicked around at the studio, the only person that can do it is the president of Nickelodeon. And I feel like they wouldn't sign on to that deal with having without having the assurances of them being able to do what they wanted to do. And there's one thing I just thought of just now is the fact that, you know, remember when, the, I don't know if you read this when you were doing this, but I was reading the art book and when they were creating the content for, uh, or, you know, you know, looking for like animators to help them with creating um, Avatar The Last Airbender, um, they look, they actually, you know, push their story onto like Japanese animation studios, like anime studios. Yeah. yeah. You know, they said, no, like we're good. So they went to this Korean studio. I think it's right. called Tin House. Yes. Tin Cat House or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but now I was reading, there was a recent article in the Times saying how 
completely unsustainable the anime studio is in regards to how they pay animators yeah. in Japan. So, yeah. you know, I was reading that it's on the verge of collapse. Like, we might not get anime for years to come because of the fact that they're completely underpaying animators. And anime and, art, anime artists get paid, like, $2 a frame. Yeah, so even, like, I was reading the fact that there was, like, this veteran who who quit anime animation because he was 28 years old. He started a family. Um, being an animator was unsustainable. And, you know, he went into elder care because of the, you know, the aging population in Japan and mm. it's really in demand. So, but I'm just yeah. thinking that the fact that if anime animation, you know, um, people, people who, who have inhibition animation, you know, who are looking to work in Japan, but, but Japan, Japanese studios won't, you know, pay them what they want. That's an opportunity for Nickelodeon and, 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 and Avatar Studios yeah. to jump on that back, you know, you know, hire and recruit these, you know, animation geniuses that aren't getting paid well bring them to america and create you know a, a considerably continuously make a, another another powerhouse uh, a series out of america in regards to animation that's a great point and, and like the big thing about animation is like I, I feel like because of yeah like the i was listening to an interview with a anime artist who does like the big shows in in japan he does he did demon slayer he did jujutsu kaisen he's done jojo he's done um, they're all freelancers yeah they're he but he was talking about how like he makes no money and works mm. 18 hour days sometimes 20 hour days sleeps at the studio and it's just ridiculous and the only reason he does it is just because he loves it and yep. so like you have to be that passionate about it and i know that these guys the the korean studio that they worked with they actually brought some of the guys over here to the u.s uh, in the final season, I believe, to sort of shepherd the creative development of the art side itself here in the U.S. So, like, those guys are here now at Nickelodeon. So, like, they've already got some of that creative talent here. And to what you're saying, I think artists here in the U.S. still work ridiculous hours. Um, Disney, Pixar, Nickelodeon, doesn't matter. Animated artists work ridiculous hours and are underpaid. But I think it's much more stable here in the U.S. to what you're saying than it is in Japan. So I could definitely see that, like them like stealing some of the talent from overseas and whatnot. I could definitely see that being a possibility. And there's an opportunity because I was like, you know, I was talking to Mamadou, our friend Mamadou was on a podcast before mm -hmm. he's studying animation in Paris. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it's called Gerblin's, Gerblin's Institute. Yeah. And he was telling me about some of how some of the undergrad kids, he, or other, um, undergrad they're during their master's program yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some of his friends or his classmates over at the school have interned for studios for like Sci studios, yeah. Saru, who the creator of, of you know uh masaki yuasa creator of not short walk on girl to tommy galaxy ping pong the animation mm -hmm. uh, map of studios you know these kids that are hungry to create animation mm -hmm. they have this opportunity and they have you know the the, the imagination to create you know great content yeah. and you know like mamadou is american like he he's from america <laughs> yeah. so there is that in like we could probably just tell you mamadou dude they're creating more avatar shit get a get me and sam job at get, avatar studio get, get, get in there be an animator and then bring us in <laughs> honestly get us like as story writers we'll do like we'll do the dishes for all oh, we can yeah, get the, the coffee honestly yeah like that would be so cool but but yeah it's the passion it really does come down to the passion that's why they take advantage of them in japan because you know they realize that they're hungry for it they don't care how much they're paid they just want to make animation it's it's insane listening to this interview i actually sent it to mamadou just because i thought he might be interested like for career tips and stuff like that but the way this guy talked about the anime industry like everything he said was like negative but he was like i still love it like despite yes. all this fact like i still love what i do i get to sit here and draw these characters that people love and i think that that's what i hope we get here with with the studio like in terms of the story perspective is there any stories you want to see or any stories you think might happen because we don't really know what the stories are going to be it's hard to say have they said that they're making live action 
Uh, no, right now, that, right now, right now that I've you know I've said I was speculating at this point. So yeah, right now it's all action. it's all animated. So even the movie that's currently being developed right now, that's an animated live. Or I would animated love to see. Movie. I would love to see a fifty million dollar a piece trilogy <laughs> for Avatar Studios. Oh my, live I action or animation? No, an- animation. animation. I want to see a fifty million dollar animation trilogy. Each what, movie. Like what story? Like is there? Do you want to see like the adult like crew like the gang like? being aged up like sort of was it a pun the, the, gang the, gang yeah you, you didn't know that it's g okay, i've heard i've heard it okay okay, okay yeah. yeah but like the yes yeah, so do you want to see them like maybe their development of republic city right that's what it's called in core i believe republic city like maybe that phase or do you want to kind of see something entirely there new? is still i mean i've read the comics they could do the comics of the stories and you know make like the side stories based mm. off the comics yeah, yeah um it's they have they've already went into like the the, uh, the first avatar with Korra. It's really, really hard to say because they you know they really covered. Was it wasn't Steven Yun the voice? Was he Avatar One, right? Yeah, Avatar. Yeah, I believe Steven. Of... I believe Steven Yun did the voice for that character. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of inspiration from uh, Spirited Away. I think I tweeted out a bunch of screens from the two. Um, it's hard to say. Maybe, maybe the Kiyoshi stories yeah. of Kiyoshi, or maybe even before Kiyoshi. Yeah, the Kiyoshi books are pretty popular, right? I think so. I wouldn't be surprised if they decided to go down that route. There's a lot to mine there. I don't really know what I want to see, just because I feel like I'm not. Or would you want to see like Korra as like a very old? No, I, I kind of think person. I kind of think I want to see new characters. If we're not going to do the adult gang, because I, I do love those characters. Not I'm not going to say no to having those characters. But if it's not going to be like them, you know, 20 years down the road developing Republic City or whatever, I, I want it to be an entirely new story. I want to see a saga centric story as an adult. I want to like see a, how the, the like that trilogy between, that you're talking about. Maybe, but I want to see the disparity between his character, how how much how big of a goofball he was, to like the much more stoic individual we saw mm. in Korra from the. Yeah, that's a good point actually. And some of these uh, old avatars, right? They're like sort of notorious for having that sort of stoicism and seriousness that Aang lacked, right? Yeah, yeah, and maybe even like stories of you know the inception of these nations, like the the the, the first Fire Lord, the first um. I don't know the Earth King, something like that. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot there to, to to talk about. There's so much lore there for them to explore. Like they haven't even scratched the surface yet of what they could do with this story. And I guess to close it out, I trust DiMartino and Konietzko to have the sort of wherewithal oh, yeah. to to make something good and uh, give us something that satis- that satisfies us after now like with the whole like with the whole netflix thing and whatnot it's just been this crazy roller coaster and for you who's been a fan of the series since it you know since it aired practically and it went through <laughs> went through the the original live action movie and whatnot like for you guys it's even longer of a sort of travesty of a journey so i hope that you guys more than anything else are sort of satisfied at least with we're, what you we're, we're it. approaching it very cautiously because of that yeah definitely <clears throat> but i think cautiously very excited <laughs> if, yeah, that's, yeah. Even, if yeah. that's even a way to put it um let's try to rapid fire through some of these things we took a long time on those two uh luca trailer the new pixar movie kind of set in the italian countryside about a boy who's a monster who's friends with another boy who's another monster um it looks like it's going to be your sort of traditional pixar tearjerker about friendship and whatnot it's got the duo which you're kind of traditionally used to seeing but it looks beautiful italy uh the italy set like setting is really good we haven't really seen that from pixar i like the trailer it was pretty fun 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I was saying when we first uh, got uh, introduced to like the idea of Luca during the was it the Disney uh, shareholders meeting, and I was yes. saying that they're going for the angle of like calling by her name, like a like right. a you know homosexual story between these kids. But it looks like more of a story of acceptance and discrimination, considering you know these kids are monsters, are not accepted into their society. There's like, right. like you know people hunting down like the whatever they're called mermen, I guess. Yeah, I guess. So I think it's more of a movie like that. It looks good. I mean, I'm excited for it. It could have those undertones, I think, of what you're saying, but maybe not explicitly say say all that stuff maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but yeah it looks like fun and the setting of it the, it just looks like stunning animation so i'm excited for that um i'm glad you reminded me about this story because i almost <laughs> forgot it uh, michael fassbender is teaming up with david fincher for david fincher's next movie called the killer at netflix it's an assassin drama uh written by the guy who wrote seven and fight club so one of david fincher's old collaborators um based off a french graphic novel um and basically this this project has been in development since like 2007 or maybe even before that fincher has been attached for it that long uh brad pitt has come and gone from the project and now fassbender has come into the role he's going to be playing an assassin who sort of starts to grapple with this chaotic nature of himself uh when he sort of develops a conscious and this just feels like this just feels like redemption for michael fassbender after the misses that he's had recently yeah i think it's kind of like you know it's a you know michael fassbender is a genius on his own right david fincher is a genius on his own right him reteaming up with andrew walker from seven and five club is very exciting it kind of seems like a you know there's, there's a trend in hollywood right now with these, with these uh i guess hitman dramas right we have we Bullet have train. john we have john wick we have bulldrain coming out we have barry on hbo mm-hmm. and it feels like you know these kind of like a confluence of all these elements coming together i'm very curious to see how fincher approaches this i don't know if it's a comedic take I mean, it's a much more darker take um but the fact that you know fassbender's uh, hopefully you know it's a fincher movie so hopefully he gets his redemption with this movie it, it feels like redemption from uh, what was it, the snowman though that like that's, that's the one i was thinking about yeah yes. but he was a police officer right he was the police officer in this one he's playing the killer but like yes. he's he's maybe the most talented actor working today but he has so many misfires because he's got a bad agent or something with the x-men movies and, and with the creed. snowman and assassin's creed like he just hasn't had a good project but if alien if you yeah oh yeah <laughs> prometheus prometheus yeah um but if you see what he can do in 12 years a slave and steve jobs like you know this guy is and even what he does in the X-Men movies, despite the fact that most of them are not great, um, he's just incredible. And I just want him to have a good project. And it's David Fincher, right? Like, is David Fincher doing some sort of killer slash murder mystery type thing? That's his thing. That's it's his, his, it's his a niche. return It's a return to form after Mank. So I have no doubt that this is going to be... This is what, I guess, is like a serial killer universe is what? Zodiac? Zodiac, Mindhunter. Seven, Mindhunter. Um, there's another one. I'm Even thinking. Gone Girl. Gone Girl, yes, yeah, Gone Girl. Gone Girl yeah. fits into that mold. Um, it's it's what he's known for, really, basically. Even like Panic Room kind of fits into that, like a killer, like a dark. It's he's known for the dark stuff, right? Like the dark, gritty. That's that's David Fincher's thing. So he's definitely returning to it with this. It's this is sounds. This sounds like such a match made in heaven. It's like you, you know Fincher with a serial killer like Scorsese with mob movies. Basically, yeah, basically that's a really good comparison. Um, I cannot wait for this thing. Uh, Ryan Gosling is starring in a movie called The Actor with Duke johnson uh being adapted from a novel memory uh ryan gosling's year like one of your favorite actors all you sort of take the reins with this no yeah i'm just really excited to see him i was like talking about when we were saying uh actors with range and actors who are you know fitting the 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 lead man role that are actually character actors because of his roles in like fight club and blade runner i don't know much about the story itself but i'm just glad that he's getting work 
Yeah. I, when what else is he attached? He's doing the Wolfman movie, right? The Wolfman, the one that we're supposed to get a. What's it with Universal? Yeah, Universal is part of that monster universe. Is he attached to anything else right now? I feel like. He oh, is. is he doing that? Uh, that spy movie with Chris Evans and Anna De Armas, right? On Netflix. Right. What is that called? The Gray Gray Man. I am looking his I, IMDb right I now. Think it's like supposed the to be gray, sort of the Gray Man. So Wolfman, yeah. the Gray Man, the actor. <laughs> there's one called announced called Project Hail Mary. With oh, Lord, Lord and Miller. That's the space one. That's the space one. Yeah, that yes. he's doing with Lord and Miller. That's right. Another um, space movie. For so him. he's actually got a lot under, like, sort of in development right now. For some reason, I was thinking he didn't. Um, of, like, the stuff that we've named and, like, this one sort of being added to the mix, is there one that you're most excited for, maybe? Wolfman, I said it again because of the fact that he's a character actor and in seeing him in full makeup as a wolf. It sounds just very exciting to me. Hopefully, I don't know what was that movie we were talking about when this when this announcement came out. That was a remake. It was a with a Del Toro and Hopkins and Emily Blunt. That was a bore. Not was a it, movie. Was it? A, it was a Wolfman movie, right? Was it called the Wolf? I, it was some sort of werewolf movie. I, I think I could be wrong, but I think that's what you're talking about. With Benicio? Yeah, with Benicio as the lead. Yeah. Yeah, that's the. Uh, hopefully, it's not like that because okay. that movie is just com- a complete bore. But you know, hopefully, because of the fact that I haven't seen a great werewolf movie, I think that's why I'm looking forward to it. Okay, cool. And, and let's just close things out. Not really like anything to touch on here, but uh, like in terms of discussion. But it's worth mentioning that Spider-Man Three has a title officially: No Way Home, continuing the trend of Home Homecoming. Um, God, I just blanked home. on the title of the second one. Far from home. Far from home. Yes. <laughs> and now No Way Home. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect uh, of this one. We've talked about it plenty. I don't know if you have anything that you wanted to add to what we've already said. Um, the multiverse is yeah. pretty much the only thing that comes to mind. Do you do you uh, really like what's if you had to place money on it, like w- with your gambling addiction <laughs> and it's prime right now? How how much are you willing to place on that? On, on what? The fact on, that it's a multiverse. On, on the chances of the multiverse happening and, and seeing like you know your old Spider Mans and whatnot. Well, with the fact that there's a multiverse, I think it's pretty much confirmed at this one because you know we're getting Jamie Fox as Electro and uh, Alfred Alfred Molina as a uh, um, was it Doc 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 Doc, 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 Doc yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much confirmed. But with uh, Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, it's still hard to say. There is no con- confirmed. There is no you know uh, sightings of them in Atlanta where they were shooting. So. I would say I put a hundred bucks on the fact that it's a multiverse. <laughs> I put I put five dollars with the okay. other three Spider or two Spider Man coming into the movie. All right, we're gonna have to set up a parlay for this one so you can get <laughs> you can get your in here. Um, I'll set it up for next week's episode and we can start sorting it out then. Uh, but yeah, let's let's transition into reviews now. Not a whole lot to discuss here, but you said you started watching The Sopranos. How far are you so far? So I started it Saturday night. I am three episodes into the second season. So I've seen 15, 16 is it, hours. Is it 10? Is it the 10 episode mold like most HBO? This no, the first season was 12. Oh, okay. 13. So a little longer. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, like a, like the kind of like a Netflix format. Okay. But it's still, I mean, it, it's living up to its uh, uh, its reputation. It's it's a great show. Well-written, well-rounded characters. It's very fun. Like if they pretty much talk about like, you know, it's an obvious comparison to, like, Scorsese's mob movies and Coppola's mob movies, but they talk about, like, the fucking Godfather and Goodfellas in every single episode. It's hilarious. <laughs> is it, like, does it feel, like, very much inspired by those, or does it kind of feel like its own thing? Mm, bit of both. Bit of both. You know, they, they have, okay. like, the accents, and they have the um, the brutality and the violence that comes with mob movies, but the fact that we know we get, like, a a much more deeper interest into their or into their lives outside of the mob is why I like it so much. But it's, it's a good balance between the two things between um 
James Gandolfini's uh, Tony Soprano, him balancing his work life, quote unquote, with his family life. So it's 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 a good balance that they're having, and it's really funny too. I was okay. surprised how funny it is. Yeah, I was I was interested to see like how much levity because I feel like with those game um like with those darker shows on HBO like Game of Thrones, there's not really a whole lot of like room for levity. And Sopranos is like the kickoff, I guess, of like prime the golden TV. age of television. Yeah, that's what, that's what they it. call it, golden age, which is like Sopranos, and then like Breaking Bad and Mad Men came along, and then HB, uh, HBO did their thing with Game of Thrones and whatnot. So. I guess, yeah, I guess Sopranos is really the kickoff alongside Boardwalk Empire, maybe? I, I think Boardwalk Empire came out a little earlier. Was it HBO, too? Yeah, I think that was also HBO. I think I would say even, you know, with The Wire and uh, Oz as well. Mm, I think yeah. Those are the, the precursors to the golden age of television. The, the Wire is the one that's sort of like the top of my list that keeps getting pushed by something else, because that's the one. Have you Have you seen The Wire? Yeah, the, the wire is great. Yeah, that's the one that I really need to watch. That I'm like season that's... season four is fantastic. Out of the five seasons, I think it is. That's the one I'm embarrassed to tell people that I haven't seen yet. Is the wire even more so than the yeah, Sopranos? Because I'm always seeing like people talking about like the like these these like you know their, their, their ranking systems is like you know pick out of, out of these shows which is the worst one. And I'd be like you know considering like the movie guy and TV show guy I am is like a, oh wait I haven't seen the Sopranos I can't rank these shows like they're always being compared with like you know Game of Thrones, True Detective. Um, um, a couple of shows on FX like Fargo and mm-hmm. uh, what's the, what's another huge show from Fargo? Oh, not Fargo. FX that I'm thinking about. Like drama. Not American Horse. It was a huge drama. Like, like the very, uh, OJ? I guess. I OJ, I guess maybe I would see it sometimes. But, you know, I'm considering, you know, all the big shows, like, you know, Breaking Bad and all that. Okay. But it was like, you know, it was like seeing them is like, you know, I can't rank the Sopranos because I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, everyone's talking about, I see memes of it on Twitter all the time. So, you know, oh, like, The Shield? Is it the Shield? That was FX, I think, and that was a big one back in the day. Uh, I don't, I don't know, but okay. I'm just like, I was like, I was like, I was like, you know, I had nothing to watch. I, I was like, kind of looking at a kick because I was like, you know, binging Kurosawa's filmography. So like, you know, I'm gonna talk, start a TV show, and I saw that Batman the animated series on HBO. You know, it's still as great as I remember as a kid, but you know, I wanted something more dramatic, much more you know, adult focused. He was like, you know, I was like fuck it i'm gonna just start watching the sopranos mm. and like the sixth season is split into two parts which is interesting oh okay is that the final season yes okay so that was like the inception i guess of that because obviously breaking bad mad men and game of thrones all also did that where they split their final season into a and b or whatever right yeah i so, guess so yeah and attack on titan is doing that too right oh yeah that was my question i was gonna bring that up during this podcast how do you like the season so far i'm loving it so far i think the people that are bitching about the cg animation are stupid because like it, it's, it's not great it's not great don't get me wrong the cg doesn't look nearly as good as the 2d hand-drawn titans from the previous season but everything else looks so good and the story is just incredible that it doesn't bother me at all the cg from the first three seasons is even worse the colossal titan yeah it looks horrendous it looks it really like does. you know like 90s cg but um yeah we have five episodes left i think so we're in the, we're in the 11th episode no, of, part, of part so have, one right of yeah part, part one. one so we have four episodes left i know where it ends you know the manga is like three chapters of the manga i'm pretty much caught up mm-hmm. so considering the midway point i know where it ends and i i, I you know i know you're on, on like a kick like i don't know if you're gonna come back to twitter or not but just for the reaction of the last episode for the first half of the last season it's a mouthful um, I just want you to go on to just see the reaction because I know, I think I know what's going to end. It's fucking, okay. it's going to blow your mind. Okay. I don't know what to expect. And I kind of <laughs> like that. And it feels like, it feels like the series has been a little bit up and down, but I'm okay with that because it's doing a good job of like parsing it's, the action. It's and- like what? Number two on my anime list right now is like a 9.17. And I think it's like a, the episodes are like, you know, top 
10, top 20 in the IMDb mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. So it's being received really well. I think it's like a very, 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 it's, very it's minor It's probably minority. that like that small minority of people that came out against Demon Slayer just because it got popular. So they were yeah, like... Those people I, are so annoying. Yeah, I don't love it. But like, it's like the vocal minority. Same thing with like uh, Last Jedi, right? Like there was the vocal minority of people that were just like... No, I think, out- it's, I think Last Jedi is pretty split. Oh, you think? You think so? So this is this is. I think it's just because like, when, I, when I would go on like, you know, people polling like Star Wars movies and like rankings and all that, I'd always see like Last Jedi being last or like... Okay. So it really is the vocal minority this- then. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Review uh, bombs, but yeah. like it's not being review bombed like you know Star Wars is. Yeah, not not the way like on I well, Captain Marvel right was like like oh, a pre star or something before it came oh, out. God. Like that was ridiculous. Um, I'm excited. I, I like the season so far. Um, How about the animated of the year, Jujutsu Kaisen? How yeah, you like so, that I, so far? I, I did start that. I'm about 12 episodes of the 20 in, um, and I guess there's a couple more to come out, but. Um, I was. It's funny you bring that up because I was actually going to say I've got a bit of a bone to pick with this series because this series is like on cloud nine right now. Everybody is raving about this series. Like you said, it won anime of the year Crunchyroll with the Crunchyroll Awards. Um, it's the highlight of my week when I'm looking for shows to watch. I'm just waiting for the show highlight to... of my week is Attack on Titan. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, I'm, reading, I'm reading the manga for Titan, so it's like yeah, you know I, I know what's I know what's happening. Fair on Titan. enough, but like the way the animation, the music, and everything comes together. I mean, this past episode, the scene with oh, no. Aaron on the top of the wall, it's like it, oh, it's so good. I'll say this. I'll say this real quick before you talk about Jujutsu Kaisen. They yeah. cut a really great scene from the manga where uh, Aaron uses the Warhammer Titan's power to break out of jail. They cut it uh, off from, from, the, from okay, the TV they, show. They, they didn't, they just, it was just the people like that helped him escape, right? There was like the, the they, they just said like, it was like off screen. It's like, you know, they're saying yeah, like the, the, the quote unquote Jaegerist broke him yeah, out, but it was Jaegerist, him yeah. with his okay. Warhammer. He was like, he wasn't even in Titan form. He was his regular self using the Warhammer Titan's power. They're, they're saving his use of the Warhammer for like a big moment. I think they're like saving it for like a big battle moment in the series. Cause we haven't, we saw him eat the Warhammer, but we haven't seen him use the Warhammer yet. So well, we usually, that's what like the, the first instance at least but you yeah. see you had a bone to pick with Kaisen. yeah so this show the concept is incredible the action is some of the best animated action i've ever seen same studio as titan it's mappa yeah and mappa is killing it like i mean between like this titan doro like some of my favorite stuff that i've been watching recently has been mappa studios but like the stuff that's connecting the tissue between the like the battle sequences oh my god there's it's literally some of the best action i've ever seen in anime but mm-hmm. it's, i'm not interested in between the action sequences i don't care about these characters i don't care about the stupid school i don't care about the kyoto school that they're going to war with or whatever <laughs> i just don't care all the the stupid kid that can only talk about sushi like what i i don't get it like i don't get the hype is like is the hype solely based on the action sequences because i know this was a popular manga too so i can't no, imagine pe- that's people like- are loving the characters like a lot there's a scene i guess with like i think have you been introduced to toto toto the big guy the big muscular guy yes, from the I other have. kyoto school yeah, yeah, yeah. there was a he's had i can't i can't really say too much but he has a great moment later in the series mm. um but is, you know, it, yeah, is it in a fight sequence it's fight sequence in both relation relational with the other, with another okay. character. Okay. Like you can probably guess at this point. Yeah, but, I think I know where you're going. <laughs> but you know, people. Yeah, people are a lot, having a lot of fun with this show. So I get you're you're in the minority with this. I'm in, I like it. Don't get me wrong, because like the action is just so good. I I just finished the battle sequences with the uh, the guy who's like sort of like 
patchwork together that can shift. I don't remember his name, but he's like, oh, kind of like Mahito. Yeah. So like that that action sequence between him, uh, the main character Itadori, and the guy with the glasses, um, the salaryman guy. Yeah. Um, that fight is so good. Um, and the animation, oh at the school at the school. Yeah, I love that fight. That fight was incredible. So you already got the the the, the uh, episode where uh, Gojo fights that volcano guy. Yeah, yeah. Which that scene was also incredible. Like that's what I'm saying. The action is so good. The music is really good. I love the opening. I love the score itself, but for some reason, the show is just not clicking into place for me. And yeah, I'm in the minority definitely, but I don't know why it has the humor too. I love, I love the funny sequences that feel like kind of out of place, but they're making me laugh. But for some reason, like I'm not like the past few anime that I've talked about with you on this podcast, mm-hmm. I've like binged them all, right? Like I've sat down and I've just like watched nothing but this anime and just straight through. Yeah. This is the, I think this is the first one I recommend to you that's still ongoing in its first season. Yeah, but also like I'm only interested to watch one or two episodes at a time. I don't feel like compelled to binge it the way I feel hmm. compelled because I feel like the the stuff like I'm saying like the stuff between because like there's that big fight sequence at the school like that we just talked about and the next episode is the introduction of all the kids from the Kyoto school mm-hmm. and I was just like all right this is like complete like momentum drop. I'll, 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 I'll kind of agree with you there like you know with the Kyoto introduction and like like Maki and Toto I was like you know what like I was like who gives a shit about this like man mm-hmm. let me uh, let me see what like uh Itadori is doing with Sukuna and um with um yeah so I think it's, I think the salary name is salary guy's name is Sanami I was with you there like you know it's kind of like you know let me see what Itadori is doing I'm gonna see what Yuji's doing but you know once they you know shift from the current arc that Yuji's in and he's introduced back into the fold saying that he's alive you know because like the focus of the kyoto school and the dynamic with um the kaisen school the, I, mm-hmm. it's called jujutsu kaisen school jujutsu kaisen, yeah so it, i think maybe hopefully there you'll be more on board with the characters and the story i hope so but you know out of everyone i've talked to about the show everyone's loving it i i really hope so and i feel like i should love it because i love all the pieces but for some reason it's just not like it's not all coming together is like something that i can say i love i like it but I can't say I love it. Like, So who would you say out of last year would have been the anime of the year then? I feel like I haven't watched enough, but I finished Rent-A-Girlfriend two days. And that was obviously... Oh, yeah, you haven't talked about that on the podcast. No, I haven't. I, I love that show. Um, that show was hilarious. It was completely unexpected, and I can't wait for... I told Sam I was going to read it. I think I'm going to wait for the season, but if I get impatient, I might go ahead and read it. But I guess... It, Crunchyroll separates, right, between drama and comedy, so I guess that was in the comedy category. Um, was it? I think Kaisen? so. No, 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 no. Rent a Girlfriend. Oh. So I think Kaisen was in the drama category. And I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is my first time watching the Crunchyroll Anime Award, so I'm not entirely sure. But I, I liked Rent a Girlfriend more than I liked Jujutsu Kaisen. Well, I mean, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast relentlessly now. I've, I've been saying it, you know, even outside of anime, I think my, like one of my favorite TV shows of all time, mm. IQ has been consistently delivering mm. season after season. That's That was my number one of last year. Yeah, yeah it's just kind of like the popular thing right now, I guess outside of Titan maybe, but Titan didn't qualify for Country Roll. Well, yeah, um, because it's still, you know. It's only halfway through the we're, season. We're in March <laughs> yeah. of 2021. I, I guess it'll be next, it's sweep everything next year. But like, it doesn't, and I wasn't around for the hype factor of Demon Slayer, but it doesn't feel like it has that sort of oomph, Demon Slayer that, factor. That, that Demon Slayer factor, yeah. That, People like, like Demon Slayer more than Jutsu. I'll say that. And the concepts are kind of similar too, in terms of you know, it's like it's like a similar concept but set in completely different eras of Japan, uh, modern day uh, Japan, and then like Edo era Japan. If if I'm making a comparison, I would say um, Jujutsu Kaisen is like a, an amalgamation of Bleach and Naruto. I've heard Bleach comparison actually, yeah, because of. 
the sort like of the setup of other it. world like a yeah. afterlife and all that kind of mm-hmm. concept again i like it i just don't love it <laughs> and i want to love it i want to love it so i'm hoping maybe these next few episodes put me in place but uh the other bone that i wanted to pick is i rewatched sicario um I think oh. this is like my fifth oh. or sixth time watching Sicario in my oh, entire shit. life. Is this, is this controversial? I don't think so. I, I, <laughs> I think I think Sicario is maybe the most underappreciated movie of the past fifteen to twenty years. Like, how are we not talking about this movie as one of the best movies of the two thousands? It's so fucking good. Like, literally, I watched the scene at the border so many times once a month once it's a month so at least good. oh my god the music i mean uh the tension in building in johan johansson right is the is the composer his score, rest in peace yeah rest, rest in, in peace. peace his score at that scene and the scene where you see the bodies hanging from the bridge oh my god oh my god yeah it's so uh, good and juarez they're in the, juarez right the, yeah the this movie I, I mean i've seen it so many times and it was like number it was in my top 20 i think on my best of the decade but it just feels like nobody talks about it it feels, it like, feels like, like the movie that people think no country for old man is it's better than it's not even close not even close comparison if you ask me like the way people talk about no country for old man is how they should talk about sicario it's not even close if you ask me benicio del toro's performance emily blunt's performance like those two are monsters like they're so good that movie was only nominated for best score and best cinematography um i think it wasn't even in best picture like i don't understand that I know 2015 was a good year for movies, but Sicario is, it's a fucking mass. It's my number two Denis movie behind Arrival. Um, it's so good. It's so good. And I, I just, I can't believe like that we are not talking about that movie amongst like the masterpieces of this century. Like I, I'm reminded of this every time I watch the movie, but it like gets me riled up every single time I watch it. I'm like, why are we not talking about this movie more than we are? Because when you're like, ranking Denis movies, do you separate his French Canadian movies to his American movies? I haven't, seen, I his, I haven't seen his French Canadian movies. So I've I seen a handful of them just because of the fact that he, I think, his American half mm-hmm. is much better because he actually has like the budget mm-hmm. to work with his ideas. Mm-hmm. Whereas his French Canadian stuff is like his, like his student films. Yeah. And he's like just getting started off with his ideas and he's just like starting off like yeah. a, so, you know, when I'm making a ranking, I don't really include his French Canadian stuff with his fair. American stuff. That's fair. Yeah. But when I'm making a ranking, I'm just saying like, you know, it's, it's so, it's like a hair difference between like the top, five maybe all of them <laughs> if you I, I like enemy is the only i like enemy but enemy is the only one that's like a category below i think prisoners Br- blade runner arrival and sicario are all on the same level i think they're all masterpieces yes i'm with you there yeah i think i mean denis fucking genius we need to do a denis episode i think that would be oh. a really fun, fun conversation <laughs> i think we just decided on our april episode because i think yeah. our month our, our was it march episode is march will be oscars. oscars yeah so april let's do denis i, I kind of want to do that because i want to rewatch blade runner too so let's do blade runner is what like three hours long i think so that's fine i have i have two copies of it i have a copy of it on blu-ray and i have a copy of it on 4k i have the 4k it looks so good it looks so good and i have yeah two copies of the original too I don't love the original that much, but we could talk about that on the Disney episode because I, I kind of want to save that conversation. Uh, yeah, that'll that'll bring us to a close, I guess, uh, <laughs> for this episode. We got on a few tangents there. A uh, long episode, but that's okay. Thank you for joining us. Sam, let people know where they can find you online. From my Twitter at Sam Zero, so on my Instagram at Sam Osorio, O-S-O-R-I-O. Find me at Rotsaw236. Check out show notes for resources on Black Lives Matter. Also, be sure to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, share with your friends, family. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, and all the other popular platforms. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the sun.